Good morning, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Karen Weaver. The voice of the college athlete has never been more needed than it is today. The platforms that exist to amplify that voice seem to be growing every day. I want to use this platform to have a discussion with a former college athlete whose profile has risen in the world of the NCAA and in front of the U.S. Congress, where he testified in February of this year. Kendall Spencer is a 2020 graduate of Georgetown University's Law School. Before attending Georgetown Law, Kendall was a track and field athlete at the University of New Mexico. He won a national championship in the indoor long jump in 2012, earned first-team All-American honors, and in addition to numerous conference honors, and he has since competed in the Olympic trials and hopes to compete in the 2021 Tokyo Olympic Games next year. I invited Kendall prior to the Senate Judiciary Committee hearing in which Senators Richard Blumenthal and Cory Booker outlined their College Athlete Bill of Rights. So we start the podcast with listening to Senator Blumenthal's description of what those rights look like, and then Kendall and I jump right into the conversation. About the Autonomy 5 and the NCAA's proposals, but I want to send this message, which I think many of us feel is all important. We want reforms with real teeth and real protection for the athletes. Put the athletes first. And colleges ought to hear that message loud and clear. College athletes must receive fair compensation for their work. They deserve to share fairly in the revenue they create through their photos, their jerseys, their merchandise promotions with their name, image, and likeness. This is a matter of equity and equality. Athletes have to be protected against exploitive practices that may be inadvertent, but still pernicious. And there is a racial justice dimension here. It is a dimension that involves racial justice, economic justice, healthcare justice. Our nation is in the middle of a profound reckoning on the systematic racial injustices of our entire society. And it should not be lost on any of us that collegiate sports that generate the highest revenue are disproportionately played by students of color. That is a undeniable fact about today's college athlete world. Our current system denies these students access to the revenue that their labor generates. And that is unfair, unjust, and it reflects racial injustice as well as economic injustice. And that's why today I'm proud to announce that I'm working on a framework with Senator Booker for a college athlete's bill of rights, this framework succeeds where the NCAA has too often failed and it centers on the rights and welfare of college athletes. Our framework empowers and protects economic rights of athletes. It allows students to market their name, image, and likeness rights, both individually and on a group basis. It would also ensure that students have the opportunity to negotiate revenue sharing agreements with athletic associations, conferences, and schools. It would empower and protect 
students' right to an education, enable them beyond their academic and athletic career. Currently, fewer than six in 10 college students graduate in four years, and only 55% of black male athletes from the Power Five conferences graduate within six years. Our framework would provide college athletes with commensurate lifetime scholarships to give them more time to complete their degrees. We create and empower transparency and give athletes the right to hold accountable their colleges. Our framework would create an oversight panel with the regulation of agents and third-party NIL deals to athletes and make sure they have a real voice. And finally, the framework protects the health and well-being of the student athlete. Nothing is more important than health. It is unacceptable that college athletes continue to die, literally die, from heat-related illnesses and athletic programs still fail to report on all collegiate sports injuries, including concussions. We require comprehensive health care coverage and support with sports-related injuries. Perhaps most importantly, this framework also includes essential health and safety measures with real enforcement mechanisms. Enforcement is key, as I know from my own career in law enforcement. Kendall, welcome to the podcast. <laughs> Thanks for having me. So, great to so be here. You and I just had a chance to listen to the uh, opening statement from Senator Richard Blumenthal from mm -hmm. Connecticut yesterday in the Senate Judiciary hearing mm -hmm. on college athletics. And um, it was quite comprehensive, his initial opening um, statement. So give me your thoughts on it. So, you know, having, having, having been in those rooms before, um, I think Senator Blumenthal outlines a lot of really, really good steps. Um, I like the way that he highlighted key focus areas um, for there to be real change. Um, I think taking it a step back from that, and I know you and I have spoken off, off, offline about this before, it, it's, it's really getting, getting an understanding of the current state of intercollegiate athletics, right? You know, there's a lot of talk about um, fairness and making sure that equity is maintained in intercollegiate ath uh, athletics and, and doing right by the student athlete. Um, but my thought has always been that in order to do that, you have to first evaluate the current state of intercollegiate athletics beyond the public perception of things that are unfair, right? Which means, you know, believe it or not, you, you, you are going to have to work with some of these institutions and you are going to have to work with the NCAA to, get in the, to really get a picture of what's happening, right? Because if not, the goalpost is going to continue to move, right? If you go in with this notion that, you know, college sports are unfair, student athletes are treated, um, you know, unfairly and they're taken advantage of without first looking at um, the, the key information to, to how they're treated, to what student athletes are currently getting both academically and um, athletically, you're not going to be able to evaluate the changes that need to be made um, on a permanent basis. And, you know, one of the things that I don't want to see happen is, is I don't want to see us trying to fix the same problem uh, every other year because we didn't take those initial steps. 
Okay, so what would be the first thing you would want to do in trying to assess that value? I think I think the first thing that I would do, and and you know, again, my views here, you know, I'm sure many people would probably disagree. I think the I would I would take it back to step one, which is what do we want intercollegiate athletics to look like? What purpose do we want it to serve? I think um, just like a lot of the issues we see in the tech in industry, I think the original framework to how intercollegiate athletics began uh, is vastly different from what we see today, right? The, the you know, the, um, the surrounding situation to, to what college athletics looked like, you know, 60 plus years ago, is different. You know, you're, you, are, you are dealing with revenue sports, you're dealing with some sports that make no money at all, they cost the, the institutions money. So I would want to take a step back and really evaluate, okay, well, what do we want this machine to do? What purpose do we want it to serve? And then step two for me would be, okay, what are we doing now? Right? What are, what are, you know, we can break it out by divisions, we could break it out by, you know, F, uh, FBS and FCS schools, but I would then want to get a framework and an idea of what student athletes are getting now, not what the public says they're getting, not what, um, you know, different administrators say they're getting, but I would want to see the hardline facts. How are they being educated? What's the training they're getting? What are the scholarships look like? I would want all of that together to come as a, um, as a detailed illustration. And then I would, I would make changes accordingly with those facts in mind. Um, but those steps have to come first for me. Would you do that across all Division One, Division Two, II, Division Three, just Division One, just FBS? How would you do that? So I would do it across all divisions okay. because, and, and, and it's a great question you asked because that's exactly why step one has to be, what do you want, what do you want this to look like? We've got three divisions, we've got 32 plus conferences in Division One. Um, all of them right now function a little differently. And I think when they were created, that wasn't, that wasn't the idea people had in mind. And so you have to take it on a division approach. You have to take it to step one and ask yourself what we want it to look like, what we want it to function, because that's going to give you really the trajectory to the type of changes you want to make in the first place, right? If the idea, you know, hypothetically speaking, if the idea was, you know, hey, let's give you know, all these kids from, you know, diverse backgrounds and, and various levels of socioeconomic statuses, um, uh, these great opportunities in education, if that's my, you know, if that's goal number one, then that tells you a lot about what your priorities are going to be and how you want to structure things. But you have to ask that question first, because as we know, the, the way division one functions and the way division three functions are entirely different scholarships you know are either there or they're not the revenue is either there or it's not and that is what really is going to help you color in those lines where we've seen currently things are a little blurry you know yeah absolutely i i when i think of college athletics i think of a world that surrounds college football it's like mm -hmm. it's the beginning the middle and the end of defining athletics on the vast majority of campuses and certainly right now in the middle of a pandemic trying to decide whether we even have college sports in the fall all seems to revolve around whether we can play football. So yeah. you're saying let's reverse engineer this a little bit. Let's make, let's really look at across the board, 
why are we offering athletics for the track team as well as for the football team, as well as for the swimming team? What's the value that they get from the experience we provide? Exactly. And, and, and that really, you know, maybe, maybe you do that and you realize that, hey, you know, nothing's going to change with track and field. Maybe you do that and you realize nothing's going to change with tennis or even, you know, women's basketball. But having that information on the table, you're going to need that to make decisions in the future because what we've seen is the landscape for college athletics is changing, right. you know. And one of the issues we see today is the, 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 the public's perception is driving a lot of the conversation. And anytime you don't, you don't have in place a firm idea of what this entity is supposed to represent, we're supposed to do it's it's very easy for anyone from the general public who you know simply you know their their experience with college ath, uh, athletics is you know we watch it on Saturdays um, or during bowl season or March Madness anyone from that demographic can come in and say well no this isn't fair because this is what I think they they should be getting right so you really want to paint that picture and 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 I think now we're seeing a, a a real manifestation of, of, of what happens when you don't take those first initial steps. I, I really agree. I, I have found that uh, doing this podcast, uh, many of my listeners are journalists and other folks mm -hmm. in higher education who really thought they understood everything there was about college athletics. And then they listen to one particular sec segment and they say, wow, I, I didn't know that. I, I didn't know that's what was required. And so yeah. to me, the, the larger understanding of how complex this agreement is between a school and its athletes and what the rights and responsibilities and the freedoms and the commitments that you have to make, all, anybody who comes at it from a, a legal viewpoint might look at it differently than I look at it as an educator's viewpoint, as somebody else as a journalist who's looking at reporting and looking at holes in the system. And so if we can all at least agree on a common framework, it seems like that would be a good place to start. Right. Absolutely. You know, or, or, you know, you take, um, you know, like you mentioned, you know, the, the, uh, you know, the lawyer's perspective is going to be different. The, um, the professor's perspective is going to be different. The economist's perspective is going to be different because for a lot of schools, college athletics is not a good business model at all. Right. Um, it, it's, it, it, it really forces you to have those conversations. And then you really want to ask, okay, well, who is it that should decide what this looks like? That's the other part. Yeah. Who are we listening to? Are we listening to the viewing public who are the ones pouring money into some of these, these, these sports? Are we listening to the institutions? Are we listening to the student athletes? But I think you're exactly right. That, that brings me exactly why I wanted to have you to, as a guest today, because you know you've really uh, moved up in the hierarchy of things very quickly. You started off as the SAC chair in the Mountain West Conference, and then you you're now on the NCAA board of directors. Tell us what that means and how significant of a role that is for you. Well, it, it's um, it was a it was a really big deal for me, right? I think especially when you take into consideration kind of how everything started, right? You know, I was, I had, you know, just come off of, you know, an Olympic trials run and had really uh, exploded in the world of track and field relatively quickly. And I just wanted to do more. Um, so when I got invited to that first leadership forum, just to learn more about how the NCAA structure worked, I wanted, I wanted to learn what more I could do. 
I wanted to do more than just, you know, be the athlete who is also, you know, doing stuff academically. I wanted to contribute to the athletic community. Um, and for me, taking it from both my institution, you know, the University of New Mexico SAC to the Mountain West of the National SAC, that's huge because I was able to acquire a perspective that at the time, no other student athlete had, right? You were, you know, you take in minority athlete, elite athlete, um, you know, uh, had to work with athletic directors on campus, had to work with conference administrators that were dealing with, um, you know, interest groups uh, that, that went beyond the University of New Mexico, obviously different schools, University of Wyoming, and then taking it to the national SAC, which really brought in a different dynamic because, hey, now we're thinking about different conferences. Now it's not just about Kendall Spencer, the Mountain West. Now we're thinking about, well, what about the SEC? You know, we're dealing we're dealing with different revenue streams. We're di we're dealing with different different people, different different beliefs, and that for me was really training because you don't really get a chance to have exposure to all those different views. And the type of practice that I was, you know, blessed to to have with, you know, um, having those discussions, really, um, and knowing how to bring everyone to the, to to the table and think about different in interests. So doing all that as a student athlete um, was huge. And it allowed me to not only get in the room, get a seat at the table, but it opened up other opportunities where, you know, even before I was on the board and, and um, had, had gotten to that level, um, I had sat on, you know, four or five other NCAA committees before that, you know, competitive safeguards. So I was dealing with, you know, concussion protocol um, the Olympic sports liaison committee. So I was dealing with, you know, USOPC. So it's, it's really all about perspective. And right now that's incredibly important because there are only a couple perspectives that you're really hearing. You're hearing from the public, you're hearing from political leaders, and you're hearing from a handful of athletic directors. I really agree with that. Um, so if you were, if you had a chance to reformulate or look at the the structure as it is today, as, as, as you having an athlete voice, but maybe, maybe one of the only athlete voices at the highest levels, right? How would you look at the obstacles in front of you? What would you point out and say if uh, a, a group of college presidents were sitting here, what would you say to them that they don't see that you see that, that limit the choices for an athlete's voice in this, in this mix? Mm -hmm. So of course this is all you know hindsight now because I've you know since since rolled rolled off of the board but I think um, one you know so when I was really active in that space um, with the board uh, we saw the unionization issues with Northwestern right and I think that right there when when that happened I was thinking okay there needs to be a better relationship with the government because at some point we're gonna need some of these leaders to step in and help us restructure things. Um, so I think, you know, one of the three areas where I, where I think I, you know, saw, you know, years ago that should have changed was the relationship we had with our senators, with our congressmen and congresswomen. Um, that was really important uh, because it means a lot when you have certain senators coming out saying, hey, stand by the NCA, I stand by intercollegiate ath uh, athletics. We're gonna, we're gonna make this, we're gonna make sure this is done right. 
versus an us versus them type of type of relationship, which is a lot of what we unfortunately see now. I think, um, and really this is where I guess I'll say um, might be a bit of a hot take. I think I would, I would put less of an emphasis on public perception. Mm-hmm. I think one of the problems that the NCAA has faced over the past couple of years is they've really, um, you know, they, they, they've, they've kind of taken their hands off of their steering wheel um, so much so that now the public's gotten, gotten, you know, the public's driving the ship now. Yeah. Um, not, not so much that they're controlling the NCAA, but, you know, it only takes a couple, you know, a couple people who are avid football fans who have influence to now um, look at what they see on TV and listen to what they hear about how social media and revenue streams work to now, re- you know, write a letter to the people that represent them. And now it's an issue. And because of the limited um, involvement with intercollegiate athletics that the general viewing public has, um, you know, it's a compelling area and it's very easy to get behind it. And the people that represent us in the federal government, you know, they listen to their constituents. And so we've really let the narrative get out of control. Um, And so that's the second area. And I think the third area, which is really, I think what contributes to the issues in the second is the way that student athletes are marketed. I think that the NCA has, you know, and again, I've, I've been there for a lot of these conversations. Um, I think they've, they've, they've worked very hard at trying to control that narrative. But I think the way that student athletes, um, that we market student athletes during the football games, during the bas- basketball games, they don't highlight that student athlete experience. Mm-hmm. They, you know, they, you know, usually when I think, think of the commercials that I see, I think of, you know, the bowl games and you see Clemson U- University commercial and it'll show a clip of someone playing basketball. It'll show a clip of, you know, people doing chemistry and biology and so on and so forth. But it won't actually show the student athletes doing any of that, which is a huge problem because it already puts there a, a dividing line between being an athlete at the school and being a regular student. And because of that, the public continues to keep this perception that those two things are separate. Mm. Um, I think if, if student athletes were marketed in such a way during these, these big viewing audiences, um, the student athlete experience and what, what actually goes into being a student athlete on all these, these, these campuses and the benefits you get, I think the way the public would look at what we receive as student athletes would be entirely different. Mm-hmm. I, I think it'd be, I think it'd be entirely different. I think if anything, they would say at a lot of schools that what we get is completely unfair compared to what, you know, their kids go to school for. Oh, okay. So in other words, you'd say there start to be a perception of differences between what programs were able to offer and support and in support of their athletes. Right. So you put your second point was really interesting to me. And I, I really haven't had this discussion with anybody else because, you know, with your focus now as a graduate of Georgetown law, congratulations. Uh, and you're and living in DC, you know, you really understand the role, the important role of government, mm-hmm. but also you emphasize the important role of your local uh, legislators understanding that students are constituents too, right? right. So the NCAA has a really pretty um, strong uh, lobbying arm to make sure that their views are heard whenever anything comes up on Capitol Hill. But as we've mm-hmm. seen in name, images, and likenesses a lot of these changes happened at the state level. And I would think that it, with the emphasis now on giving players uh, the day off, November 3rd this year, 
to go and vote, there might be more of a chance for athletes to have a voice so that their local legislators know who they are and they know what their issues are. What do you say to that? I think you're absolutely right. I think it um, should come as no surprise to someone that understands even, you know, the base level of name, image, and likeness that all these stuff, all this stuff is happening at the state level. Right. You know, um, name, image, and likeness, you know, right of publicity rules, those are all state recognized rights. So you have to do that stuff at a, you know, at the state level. Um, I think the problem is uh, those, those representatives don't know who the student athlete voices are. You know, I think a lot of people even to this day were, are still trying to learn about this idea of the student athlete advisory committee, right? Um, and what we do and how hard we work and the type of changes that, that we've been able to create. Um, and a lot of people think that there is no voice for student athletes. Um, and maybe some of that is because of the way that we, you know, publicize the group, maybe because um, that group is a part of each institution that it's seen as, 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 as biased. Um, but that really is one of the best ways to connect to these voices, right? You know, we have, we have these advisory committees on each and every campus across the country. All of those committees report to a, a conference level advisory committee, which reports to the national advisory committee. And so anyone who's worked on any type of board knows that it's really that conglomeration of, of those voices that can give you the insight, you, you know, you want. I think the problem is the, 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 um, the unwillingness to recognize those voices. I think people take issue with going for the NCAA SAC because um, unfortunately they, you know, they've, they've thought that we are biased before. They thought that we were, you know, mere puppets of the NCAA, which, uh, couldn't be further from the truth. You know, a lot of us have gotten into it with, you know, or, and with, of course, when I say gotten into it, I, I mean, you know, we, you know, we've had disagreements with different decisions and we've, you know, um, you know, we've, we've had discussions with, you know, the, the, uh, the, you know, the, uh, the lobbying arm of the NCAA and different administrative decisions, but there's a vehicle in place that's incredibly organized that we've worked very hard to put together and strengthen. And one of the reasons you really want to go after that group is because they're informed student athletes, yeah. which is what is so key to this entire discussion. It's not just the athlete that, you know, yes, they're a division one national champion, but now they got into this meeting room and you're asking them to make decisions, but they've never spoken to their athletic director or gotten a chance to understand how their university runs. Um, it's a group of student athletes that seen it at all levels, you know, who can actually have those type of discussions with you. So I think, I think you're absolutely right. Um, you want to hook up with those student athletes and at the state level, they need to recognize those groups. Too many times I see on social media and other places, uh, this, the SACS, the Student Athlete Advisory Committee, being championed for their community service outreach. Okay. And I, I, I wonder, um, you know, how an, an administration would view athletes reaching out to their local legislators and talking about their experiences and, and the rights that they um, want to advocate on behalf of. So I think that dynamic, because SACs have relied on the institution to promote their efforts, and perhaps there's another platform, there's plenty of platforms out there for SACs to be able to also talk about what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think, you know, maybe and, you know, maybe the future of this is to, you know, do more in the student athlete advocacy space. You know, I've, I've been, 
I've been in talks with a couple former SAC members, former student athletes, current student athletes about putting something like that together that would that would allow all of those voices to sort of be grouped yeah. and more importantly, be accessible. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of groups that have coalesced in recent times, uh, there's an active parent group called College Football Parents 24-7, pressing for more information and communication from their institutions about their sons returning to campus to play football. Um, if you could offer that group some advice at this particular time, what might you say? I think I would want each and every one of those parents to ask themselves, what are they really searching for? What is, what is it that they're hoping to provide for the kids, right? If it's, is it, is it the opportunity to play? Is it the opportunity to play and potentially be recruited to the pros? Um, you know, I would ask them to, to be in constant communication with those coaches and um, the administrators at the institution. The NCAA, when it comes to those membership institutions, um, you know, that's not really the key, you know, the key group. You know, if, you know, if I'm one of those parents, I'm not necessarily reaching out to the NCAA. You know, my kid goes to Alabama. Alabama is the one that's going to make a lot of those decisions. And I need to know what they're going to do about my son um, playing football there, you know, um, and they're often going to be a little bit more accessible too. But, you know, I think, you know, having your goals in mind and what it is you're really trying to accomplish is a big part of all this. You know, I think everyone has to understand the space that we're living in right now. You know, you're not just dealing with, you know, this, this pandemic that has crippled a variety of institutions and, you know, different, uh, different, different in, uh, interest spaces. Uh, but you're dealing with an upcoming election. You're dealing with this name image likeness issue that is now permeating throughout the country. Um, and you're dealing with the fact that we haven't had, we, you know, we didn't have March Madness last year, right? Um, the NCA last I checked gets over 80% of the revenue from that tournament alone, at least. Yeah. Right. So I think while, you know, ask the questions, get the information, um, understanding that, you know, a lot of these people are, are they're waiting for the same information that all of us are. Yeah. And so finding ways to work with the institution and work with the conferences, um, I think is going to be really helpful. You know, you can't give someone information you don't have yet. Yeah, it's, it's really hard. And I, I can only imagine the anxiety that all parents must be feeling, you know, right. sending their sons and daughters back to campus this fall. You know, a lot of schools have made decisions already, but many schools haven't, particularly the Autonomous Five and some of the other FCS schools. So um, if you were a student athlete, let's say going into your senior year, what concerns would you have? And what, what would you be asking your coaches at this point? So painting, painting it from the context that I'd be coming into, which would be, let's see, my senior year, I would be, you know, looking towards the Olympic Games. I'd be, you know, again, elite level. I'm trying to win. I'm trying to win a national championship, um, you know, sign a contract and then move forward. I would want to know athletically um, what that looks like in the future, right? So, you know, if you, if you postpone my season, do I get another year, right? Is, is that opportunity still going to be there? Um, and then I would, I would, I would then begin to take a step back and work with the coaches and try to figure, okay, well, what does this look like? 
And then, which a lot of people forget, and I guess you can't really do this as much with, with sports like, like football, is then I'm going to the NGB, right? I'm going to the national governing body for that sport, you know, if you're, you know, you know a citizen here. Um, and I'm asking, okay, well, what kind of opportunities are you guys proving because, or providing? Because right now I want to make sure that I've got a place to compete. You know, as a track at, athlete, you know, I've, I've spoken to a lot of us in, in Olympic sports and intercollegiate athletics is really the, is the pipeline to the Olympics. Um, a substantial portion of our medal winners and our qualifiers come from the college system. So when you take away those competitive opportunities, you know, we've got Tokyo coming up next year, right? So what happens to that? Um, what happens to those dreams and passions of, of student athletes, you know, if you don't have it? Um, that being said, I'm thinking about it also from the academic side, right? Um, when I think about really what propelled me into the position that I am now, it's, you know, I got injured my sophomore year of college and couldn't really compete. And so I had to really find other ways to create value. And that's when it sort of clicked, clicked in my head that, hey, you know, I can, like, I, you know, I can't just do this academic thing. I can really do this academic thing. And so I really pursued, you know, research opportunities and other degrees. And so, you know, for me, it's, what can I do? Right? Um, you know, if, if you're going to delay my season and you're going to provide me another one, do I need to be a 12 credit full-time student? Um, what is, you know, what does that look like? Um, what happens to my scholarship? Right. So I think I say all that to say this, the question that I would really ask for, you, you know, um, for institutions in terms of like, you know, looking at my well-being and, and the future is what is it that you're prioritizing? As an administrator, as my coach, as the athletic director, I want to know how you see me in my sport and what role you see us playing in the next couple of years. Because as we've seen, schools have been dropping sports. You know, um, that says a lot, right? So I would want to know what that looks like, and then I would conduct myself accordingly. Yeah, yeah. Well, Kendall Spencer, we're going to leave it there, but this has been a fascinating conversation, and I really appreciate your thoughtfulness. And, and really bringing it home that so many athletes yeah. like yourself are not football players, but have right. just as, as audacious goals, including mm -hmm. winning and meddling in the 2021 Tokyo Olympics. So I want right. to wish you the right. very best in that. How is your training going? It's going really well. I'm in, um, I'm in Portland, Maine right now. Um, uh, my coach lives up here. My training partner lives up here. And so this was really the safest place for me to both uh, – train and study for the bar as uh you know everything's been sort of delayed but you know i've been um you know again staying involved with usa track and field the ncaa um doing some stuff with the night commission now as well so really hoping to use this time to create you know um a better space for athletes and uh you know hopefully we can all come out of this um in a much better place i hope so too thanks for joining yeah. me thanks for having me karen